0: Well, good morning one more time. Uh, and tomorrow is our final day. Uh, it's hard to believe that uh, camp, it always goes by, doesn't it? And so uh, we are finding ourselves in uh, just a little over 24 hours left here of camp. And uh, we're so happy and so thankful that you will come and join us at this Bible study time. Uh, we'll be here again tomorrow morning at 9.30 uh, for our final time together. And I uh, hope you'll come back. Uh, this morning's service will be Steve Shellen's final service, preaching, and then Bert Jones preaching tonight and tomorrow morning for our closing service. Let's, let's begin by praying together. Lord, we are very so indebted to you for the grace that we heard about last night, and we are indebted to you for life in Jesus Christ that is more than just after the grave. We're thankful for the eternal life that begins right now, that you said that we can have life and have it more abundantly. And Jesus, our, our world needs that. In these days, our world needs an abundant life and an example of that abundant life. And we're, we're asking today that you would even do that even more in us as we grow in you. May you refresh our hearts, encourage us, strengthen us, convict us, change us, transform us, sanctify us today by your word. I pray once again as we have been through this week that you would bring to us today a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you and that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. We pray, O God, today for your enlightening by the power of the Holy Spirit through the Word. As Paul prayed, a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So we ask it humbly today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, If you're just with us, we have been studying in the book of 2 Timothy. We find ourselves today in chapter 4. And uh, today and tomorrow we'll be finishing in Chapter 4 of this letter. Um, We do have uh, notes um, if you are interested and and, and weren't able to come early enough to receive a copy of notes. uh, If you just go to the Camp Psyker website or the uh, Camp Psyker Facebook page, there's a PDF file. You can download the notes and have it there and you can print it at home if you want. As I said uh, before earlier in the week, uh, this material, we, we feel that it's from God. And so it's his, and uh, it's, it's yours to use if you're interested at your church. Uh, if if it would be helpful to have a, a class or a small group study, if this material would be a benefit to you, please feel free to use that. And we do have a, a few more of the books that go with this on the back table. Back there, it's called Torchbearers, Bears, and uh, it's, it's basically all these lessons in, in book form, and you'd be more than welcome to that. Today we're coming to a part of... These final words in Second Timothy that many scholars call Paul's valedictory. That's a fancy word to mean kind of last words. And so we have some more last words after these last words tomorrow that we'll talk about. But these are some of the most well-known words of Scripture. And I'll read them um, in verses 5 through 8, if you have your Bible this morning. Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 5 through 8. He tells Timothy, but you... Be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. Don't you love these words? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do you, do you have any life lessons that the Lord keeps teaching you in your life? Does anybody have, did anybody have anything <clears throat> in school that was a subject you had to keep learning a lot? like, Or something I just... I'm kind of slow at it, and I just need a lot of reminders on those kind of lessons in school, or as as I'm comparing now in our spiritual life, does anybody else besides me have like a life lesson that God just kind of keeps, does anybody have anything like that? Like, I'm just, God is so gracious, isn't he? Amen. Isn't he long-suffering with us? Thank God for his long-suffering grace that we heard about last night, and he isn't he isn't like my first grade teacher, Mrs. B. about. He, he's this loving, just so patient with us and gracious, and he just keeps working with you. And one of the life lessons that God has for me that I keep learning and learning and learning and learning, and I don't know if it's just I'm slow or if there's just a lot to learn, but I call it the long view of things. Instead of the short-term view, to have the long-term view the big view. A friend of mine um, talks about the parade view. God has the parade view of our lives. I may have shared with you before, when I was in college, two friends of mine, um, we thought it was a really great idea. We went out to California on Christmas break, and my one friend lived out there, three of us, got in a 1984 Ford Fairmount, uh, packed a bunch of lunch meat in a, in a cooler, and we drove out to California, spent two weeks out there. One of the things on your bucket list in Southern California over Christmas break is to go to the Rose Bowl Parade. Rose Bowl Parade, right? You ever watch the Rose Bowl Parade? It's a great Rose Bowl Parade. So you got to go to the Rose Bowl Parade. So you go out to the uh, Pasadena there, and you find a spot there on Colorado Boulevard or one of those other main thoroughfares, and you have to go the night before to get a spot because it's really busy and people come out there. All, it's a party all night long. So you get out there on your spot. People bring their sofas, recliners. People are driving up and down the street honking all night long. I mean, you just want, you're just standing there because you want your good spot for the next day. And then finally, the big morning comes. It's the Rose Bowl Parade. This is going to be great. I've never been so disappointed in my whole life. <laughs> Because when you're standing on Colorado Boulevard watching the Rose Bowl Parade, do you know how much of it you can see at one time? About this much when you're sandwiched in between the people on this side or this side. And if you blink, you're going to miss it. All right, It's going by, you see about this much. I said, forget it. I'm going to stay home and watch it on TV from now on. Because on TV, you get the, per, you get the blimp view. You can see the whole thing. And, and God has that view of our lives. So often my view is like this. And one, one life lesson for me is God keeps saying, John, Just lift up your head a little bit. Just lift up your head a little bit and see the eternal or long view of things. And one thing that so impressed me about Paul is how he has that. Paul seems to, like, just God's given him so much in his life, this long view. And we see this in these these very weighty last words again. Now, all through the letter, actually, He's, he's demonstrated the long view, the, what I call the eternal view or the long view. Like you guys know back in chapter 1, sorry, my pages are kind of sticking together in the humidity here. But in chapter 1, verse 12 is the famous statement. He says, For this reason I suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed for, you know this, for I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Paul thought it was important to put this verse in since we were going to have a hymn about it later in the hymn, so he thought it was important to include that. But you know, that day, so he's already, he's demonstrating throughout the letter this idea of that day. I'm, I'm not just looking at this day. I'm, looking, I'm not just looking at, I'm not just on Colorado Boulevard here, right? I'm looking at that day, A eternal, give me an eternal, long view of things, God. So now, as you come towards the end of the letter, and again, what scholars call the valedictory in chapter 4, you heard it in verse 1 that we looked at yesterday, chapter 4, verse 1, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing. So our long view, we're not just looking at it right now. I'm already looking ahead and aware that Jesus is coming back, and I'm living Not just in view of today, but I'm living with the view of his coming, his coming back. And then in the verses that we just read, you've got this just total sense of this eternal and long view. My departure is at hand. Verse 8, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge will give to me on that day. So again, that day, do you see with me this morning? Does everybody see it? Do you see how Paul has this long view of things, this eternal view? Now you know that's not new for him. This is not like jailhouse religion for Paul. This is not foxhole religion. Paul doesn't have a long view just here at the end. When you look at his letters, you realize he's been having an eternal view for a long time. He's he's had this for a while. If you go back to the book of Romans, it's in your notes there. But if you go back to the book of Romans chapter 8, verse 18, he says this. Romans 8, verse 18. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. He's, He's already looking ahead. Do you know that that was written 10 years before? 10 years before he's writing 2 Timothy, and he's talking about that day, 10 years back in Rome, when he wrote Romans, he's already talking about the the long view. (laughs) Or let's say the book of Philippians. Everybody, uh, most of us are familiar with verses like Philippians 1.21. You could probably say it with me. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's written five years back. So five years back, 10 years back, Paul is already having this long view of his life. Which brings up an important principle for holiness, I believe. For Christians and holiness. And the important principle is is this We are becoming right now what we will be later. Let me say that again. We are becoming right now what we will be later. That's the part of the sanctification process we're talking about. It's really important to be in process, isn't it? It's important that we have not yet arrived. Anybody here arrived yet? Anybody arrived? Anybody arrived? Anybody all there? It's important that we're in process because God is forming us and he's shaping us and he's sanctifying us and he's working in us to make us what we will be someday. And the truth of the matter is, one way or the other, we are in process of becoming now what we will be at the end of our lives and into eternity. Y'all with me this morning that, I, and I think even, I can't remember if it's Steve or Bert that even maybe used this illustration, do you know that at the end of your life, like let's say you're getting down to the final years, you know, we're getting into the last several years of my life, do you agree with me this morning? There's no magic holiness wand that gets waved over you to make you a sanctified Christian at the end of your life, right? I just kind of live, and I'm the way I am, and whatever, and I'm just kind of, that's the way I am, and I'm like that. And then all of a sudden, at the end of your life, God kind of does a snap. That's a Marvel reference. I know most of you don't get that. Or there's a magic holiness wand that gets waved over you at the end of your life, and all of a sudden, you become this really sweet, sanctified saint at the end of your life, How do you get to be a sweet, sanctified saint at the end of your life? I want to talk tomorrow more about sweetness. How do you get to be a sweet, sanctified... Aren't those people winsome, by the way? Don't you want to be a sweet, sanctified saint at the end of your life? Anybody? Half of us? Good. Okay, that'll work. If I want to be a sweet, sanctified saint at the end of my life, I'm becoming that now. Is that right? You don't just automatically become one. All of a sudden, it just kind of happens at the end of your life. We're in process of becoming that now. And there's no way to be that then if I'm not becoming it now. You with me? So we're becoming that. Which makes sense about, it makes sense in light of eternal life. Because you understand eternal life is not something that begins at death. Eternal life is when you receive Jesus Christ. It begins now, doesn't it? Remember what Jesus said? You know John 3.16. Jesus said, whoever believes in me, what? What? Has eternal life. What tense of verb is that? For all you scholars out there, what tense of verb is it when Jesus said, "Whoever believes in me has eternal life." What what tense is that? Present tense. So that means you don't just get eternal life after you die. When you receive Jesus, you already have it. And so He's working in me now with His eternal life. Whoever believes in me has. So we are becoming now this eternal view. And that's what Paul's trying to be, convey to Timothy in this letter, that Timothy, as, as we said the other day, don't you believe that when we talk about this holiness thing, this is not just some pie in the sky, idealistic. Well, that's a nice thought. Don't you believe with me this morning that this can really happen in this lifetime? Can a person really be becoming a sanctified saint in this lifetime? Do you believe that? Yes, we can, according to God's Word. So I believe this is what Paul is trying to convey to Timothy in, this, in these final words is, number one, Timothy, don't forget, Timothy, to be becoming right now. Don't put it off. Don't say to yourself, oh, that's fine. One of these days I'll get sanctified. One of these days I'll let him work in my life. One of these days I'll let him fix those attitudes. One of these days I'll, I'll let him work on the way I talk to people. One of these days I'll not be sour. One of these, one of these days, no, Timothy, be becoming that right now. And secondly... Timothy, have an eternal focus, have an eternal view in your life. And can I say to you this morning, what a difference that would make in my life. Would it it make a difference in your life to have an eternal view? As a side note this morning, I want you to know that this, this is a lesson for me, and you're welcome to listen in, all right? I've I've loved this whole study, but I just got to tell you, in honesty, these last two really are very impactive to me. This morning and tomorrow morning are hugely impactive to me. How I need, and I'm telling you this in sincerity and transparency this morning, how I need an eternal view in my life. I need, right now in my life, an eternal view. And from what I can tell from what Paul is saying to him in this valedictory and in these final words, there's two, ways, there's two ways that an eternal view makes a big difference. There's two areas where an eternal view makes a big difference. One of them is when we face hardship. We're all going to face that, right? What did Jesus say, John 16, 33? In this world you will have troubles, tribulations, whatever. Paul said, we looked at in the previous chapter, that all who desire to live godly in Jesus Christ will suffer persecution. An eternal view makes all the difference in how I can walk through troubles in this life. It's one thing to have troubles in this life and not have an eternal view. It's an, it's, it makes a whole difference to have an eternal view in this. Now, one thing I did not realize, I, I shared with you the other day, I've been really surprised by this passage. It just has taken me off, off guard. I shared that I thought these closing words of Paul would be really laid back, they're very chill, there's soft music playing in the background, there's um, you know, essential oils in the air, it's, it's very casual, it's very laid back. It's not at all. I was really taken aback in this valedictory by how much emphasis and reality. Paul doesn't sugarcoat anything. I was sh- taken aback by how much emphasis there is on three things hardship, battle, and death. How's that for a good Saturday morning message? Timothy, I just want to be honest to you about here at the end of my life about the hardship, the battle that we go through as Christians, and death. Hardship, battle, death. Now, he's been talking about hardship all through this letter. All through this letter, he's been talking... I apologize, my pages are... Is anybody's Bible pages really sticky this morning with the humidity? He's been talking all through this letter about hardship. Go back to chapter... Let's just walk through a few. All through this. Chapter 1, verse 8. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel. Chapter 1, verse 12, for this reason I suffer these things. Chapter 1, verse 16, he talks about my chains. Then in chapter 2, verse 3, he says you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Chapter 2, verse 9, I suffer trouble as an evildoer. Chapter 2, verse 10, I endure all things for the sake of the elect. Chapter 3, verse 12, we already mentioned all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So hardship, suffering, just difficulty is mentioned all through the letter. Now, in what we just read today, at the end of the letter, chapter 4, verse 5, You be watchful in all things, endure afflictions. Then, in those words in verses 6 through 8 about this valedictory, he's now describing in in verse 7, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Those all describe tough things. To fight, to run, and to guard are tough things, hard things tough things. Christianity is not for wimps. Amen? And then in verse 8, this whole thing about the crown of righteousness just further alludes to that. Um, I don't know if you have a footnote on this in your Bible. If you have a study Bible, it might mention this. That literally translated in his day. Paul was a master in his day of taking things from their culture And using that in his communication, so people would go, "Oh, I have a, I have a picture, I have a word picture in my mind." And this crown of righteousness, literally translated, is, "Have have you ever seen like in the ancient Olympics, like the winner would get this like um, wreathy thing around their heads? Anybody ever seen ever seen that? It was called a laurel, a laurel. That's literally you're gonna. I have the laurel, and people would like, "Oh, I get it," because in their day, you know who got laurels? You know who got laurels in their day? You didn't just get them for participation. (laughs) You know who got laurels? People who went through grueling stuff got laurels. Soldiers and athletes who'd been through grueling, enduring things got laurels. So it just further underscores this idea of, at the end of the letter, hardship. Timothy, expect hardship. Hardship battle and death. Now, I have forgotten about how much there is about battle in his letters to Timothy. You can almost forget that he talks to Timothy a lot about how the Christian life is a battle. He says in, chapter, in, in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, he tells him at the end of that verse, he tells him to wage the good warfare. And then in the final chapter of 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12, he tells him to fight the good fight of faith. Now, at 2 Timothy, same kind of stuff. 2 Timothy chapter 2, he brings up this this imagery again of fighting. Chapter 2, sorry, my pages. (laughs) Chapter 2 of 2 Timothy Verse 3, you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. And then now in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, I have fought the good fight. That's an interesting phrase. I fought the good fight. Literally the verb there, I have fought, is the Greek word agonizomai. We get a lot of English words from Greek. Agonizomai. Can anybody hear an English word that we might get from that word? And Say it out. What do we hear from that? Agonize. I have agonized, literally in Greek, I have agonized the good agony. <laughs> it's a battle. It's an, it's an agonizing. It's the same word that Jude uses in his letter when he says that we contend earnestly for the faith. So, so again, hardship, battle, and death. Look at that verse 6 again in 2 Timothy 4. The time of my departure I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, the time of my departure is at hand. Do you know that's just a really polite way of saying I'm going to die? <laughs> He's just very realistic about I'm leaving this world. I'm ch- I'm going. I'm going to heaven. Time of my departure, and my life is being poured out as a drink offering. Now, if you know in the Old Testament, when they offered drink offerings, a drink offering was the priest would take some wine and you literally just pour... You you remember the whole thing about broken and spilled out in the New Testament? It's kind of that idea. You just pour the wine on the fire, and it it, it, it kind of, as you can imagine, it it evaporates, and it it makes a smoke and an aroma that just goes up and is pleasing to God. And literally, it's the whole image. What he's saying is, my life is just literally being broken and spilled out for him. Hardship, battle, and death. And I'm going, I'm sitting here at the end of 2 Timothy going, wow, I didn't know this was all about that. <laughs> I thought this was just some nice words, nice goodbye, quiet music, essential oils, just very nice candle burning. I thought, what in the world is this heart? I was surprised, but why should I be surprised? Because remember where he's writing from. Do you remember where he's writing from? Maximum security prison. And isn't it true that if we want to be becoming, everybody's in on that this morning, right? We want to be becoming what we hope to be at the end of our lives. We want to be becoming sweet, sanctified saints at the end of our lives. Everybody in for that, right? We want to be becoming. If we want to be becoming sanctified, isn't it in hardship and spiritual battle and in dying to ourselves, isn't that where we're sanctified? Isn't hardship where we're being sanctified? When, when I look back on the times in my life where I really grew, do you have times like that in your life? Like you look back and say, man, I really, I can't believe how the Lord just worked on me. And, like, and I look back and I look the way I was before and then afterward and I see, I can't believe what I, I really grew in that time. And somebody says, well, what was that time like for you? Piece of cake, nothing to it. I guarantee you, That if there's been times of spiritual growth and sanctification in our lives, it's because it was in hardship. Amen? And Paul experienced, I don't have time for it this morning, it's in you. Paul experienced that a lot in his life, but what made a difference in Paul in the times of hardship was the eternal view. The eternal view made all the difference for him. Hey, this isn't gonna last forever, and I know he's doing something in me that's gonna make a difference forever and in the lives of others forever and ever. I love 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. He says, therefore, 2 Corinthians four sixteen. therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, but the inward man is being renewed day by day for our light affliction which is but for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You you hear that this morning? He says, I want to see what God's doing for me is he's helping me not just see this temporary hardship, the spiritual battle, the dying to self. What he's helping me to see is the eternal view of this thing, what he's doing in the long term of this. Now, what I didn't realize was, I mean, that, i am been praying, God, give me an eternal view. And what God's been saying back is, well, if you really want an eternal view, you know how, you do, do you know how you get an eternal view? By going through hardship. Oh. <laughs> and isn't it true that it's in the hardship, that's where he forges, it's where he gives eternal view. Anybody need that in your life? I was going through something not long ago, just needing this more eternal view, and a counselor friend of mine just said, just play the long game. It's about the long view, of the long game. And I don't know about you this morning, I really, really need that in my life. So, one of the benefits of the eternal view is what it does for you in hardship. I can see the hardship, I can see the battle, I can see the dying to self in a whole new way because, Jesus, you are doing something eternally in me and in others, eternal view. Now, the second thing, being aware of my time, the second thing that happens in the eternal view, and this this really gets to me, this is really impacted for me, this is rubber meets the road for me. Not only does the eternal view give you a perspective on hardship, it also gives you a perspective on your purpose in this world. Because, you know, you, you can go through a lot when you know there's a purpose to it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really hard sometimes going through hardship and battles and dying to yourself when it just seems purposeless. But if you can know there's a purpose, it really makes a difference. Now, in this letter... Paul's purpose is fairly obvious through this letter. I shared with you probably first couple days. This is not a… First, if you want theology, go to 1 Timothy. If you want pastoral advice, like, you know, all the things pastors are supposed to do, you know, all the things pastors are supposed to do, you know what I mean, right? Wear a suit and tie on Sunday. um, Get the bulletin done by Saturday. Um, you know, that kind of stuff, First Timothy is your book, right? First Timothy, a lot, a lot of pastoral advice. This letter, Second Timothy, purely relational, father to son, last words, very, very personal. His whole focus in this letter is to pass the torch to Timothy. Timothy, Chapter 1, verse 6, that you, you would fan into flame the gift of God that's in you. To Timothy, what Jesus is doing in me, I'm passing on to you so you can pass it on to others. Chapter 2, verse 2. All through this letter, it is the tone, it is the it is the air, it is the aura of, hey, what I have given you, you now give to others. So that's, that's when you get into these last words, that's, that's what you're into, this passing of the torch kind of idea. It's just real personal, everything about chapter 4 now, very, very personal. It's me and you. There's, it's like there's nobody else in the room, me and you, Timothy. Hey, I'm talking to you. This is just me and you, and it's very, very personal in his discipling here of Timothy. Now, something struck me about that. In these last words now in chapter 4, one thing I got to noticing about this one-on-one as he's talking to him is just how repetitive it gets. Repetitive. Now, I asked you the other day if you, you ever had a repetitive parent in your life, right? right? The reason my mom was repetitive was not just to pester me. The reason my mom was repetitive was because she cared about me. Is that right? Amen. He cared about me. So Paul cares about him a lot and wants to get this through to him so he's going to be repetitive. Repetitive. There's all kinds of things in chapter 4 that he says that he's already said earlier in the letter. And you're going like, I mean, you know, if you're Timothy, you're going, you already said that. Hey, Dad. I got that, all right? (laughs) Remember when you were a teenager? Yeah. Yeah. I've heard this before. Let me show you two examples real quick, and then we'll come into the final point. One area of repetitiveness is in this area of suffering, persecution, and affliction. We already talked about that a few minutes ago, but if you look up the words in 2 Timothy, suffering, persecution, and affliction, you'll see it used multiple times, those words. It's like he's been preparing Timothy for it, He's testifying about his own suffering, his own afflictions, his own persecution. He's saying, Timothy, you be prepared for that as well. Hey, it's just part of the deal. It's part of what we're called to. So he's been saying that the whole first three chapters. Now in chapter 4, verse 5. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions. You already said that. (laughs) You already said that. You've been telling me that for three chapters. Endure, all right, I got that part. Endure reflections. All right, so, all right. You said it, now you've said it again. Repetition. The other area of repetition is in the imagery Paul uses, some imagery he uses. And as I shared a minute ago, Paul really likes, as I said, he takes things from culture. He's a master at this. He takes things from their culture Brings it into their writing, into his writing and his letters, so people can relate. Just brilliant communicator. And one of the things he does is the imagery, if you go back to chapter 2, the imagery of especially soldiers and athletes. Paul loves, Paul loves soldiers and athletes. I secretly think that when Paul was growing up, he wanted to be in the military or something. I'm thinking that when he was a teenager, you would have seen him walking around in these black, like grunt-style T-shirts and stuff like that. He just—he probably couldn't wear them very well because he was skinny or whatever. But he wanted to be—he he really wanted to be an athlete or a soldier when he grew up because he talks about him a whole lot. He—he likes—he likes. He likes military imagery and he likes athletic imagery. So in chapter 2, you know, he talks endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ and no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. And then verse 5 in chapter 2, anyone who competes in athletics. So he's into this athletic imagery, soldier imagery, and then he comes to chapter 4. Guess what? Guess what he guess what? Chapter 4 verse 7, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. You already told me that. Repetition. So by the time you get to chapter 4 in this letter, here's what you feel like asking. Um, Is there an echo in here? You know? But isn't that exactly what Paul's life and ministry were? An echo of Jesus. In Timothy and the lives of everybody he knew, what Jesus did and said through Paul was going to echo in the ears of Timothy even when Paul was gone. Isn't it God's design for us when it comes down to it this morning? Isn't God's plan for our lives, His purpose for us, pretty simple? No, Jesus. Right? Know Jesus and let him be known through us. Amen. Know Jesus and let him be known through our lives. So much so that we would be so full of him, that he would be so at work in us that his life, who he is, would echo and reverberate through our lives, even after we're gone. Isn't that true? What would happen if Jesus was so at work, if his sanctifying work, if his power, if his life, if his kindness, if his fruit of the Spirit was so real in me that it just not only echoed now, it echoed in the hearts and lives and memories of people way after I'm gone. Not me, the Jesus working in me would create this echo of Jesus in my life and through me after I'm gone. Isn't that the plan? Now, that's what, that's what Paul did for Timothy, you gotta know. You gotta know. These guys spent 17 plus years together. You gotta know that after, think with me now, after Paul went to heaven, don't you think like a million times in his life? Maybe maybe five hundred thousand, okay. So don't you think like five hundred thousand times the rest of his life, Timothy remembered stuff that Paul said? Don't you think? He's in some spot where they were together. Oh, man, I remember when he said this there. And I I remember how he served those people there. And I I remember words that he, I remember one time when I was going through something and he spoke those kind words to me. Don't you think? Not to mention this letter. He left him this letter. Now, I didn't have a spiritual dad. I didn't grow up with a spiritual dad. So I can relate to this as a son. If I was Timothy, I probably would have read this letter every single day after Paul was gone. Do you have anybody like that in your life? That the Jesus through them, even though maybe they've gone to heaven, still echoes in your life. Do you you have anybody like that in your life? Jesus' words, Jesus' kindness, his spirit, his love, his grace through them, just kind of like… I first drove onto these grounds when I was, uh, well it was 1993 as an evangelist. Um, I was 16 years old and Trina was 15. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I've never been so scared in my whole life. Um, I was up on the platform as as an evangelist and uh, next to Tom Hermes, one of the great holiness evangelists, and behind me is this Greek professor named Robert Buswell. Some of you knew me then, but you didn't see that I was shaking. (laughs) He wrote me a letter. It's in my file at home. It was typed on stationery. Robert Buswell. He spoke words in that letter That echo in my mind and heart to this day. Isn't that what we're called to? Aren't we called to have these lives that just are so full of Him and so much Him through us that it just echoes? It just, as Paul even says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we are the fragrance of Christ. (laughs) Remember Peanuts cartoons? Everybody remember Peanuts? How did you know Pigpen was coming? How did you know Pigpen was on? How did you know Pigpen was around? There's a cloud. (laughs) Wouldn't it be something to have a cloud of Jesus, a cloud of the Holy Spirit in my life that lingers in the minds and hearts of people even after I'm gone? Isn't that what we're called to? How sweet I think I think when Paul says to Timothy in verse five of chapter four, "Do the work of an evangelist fulfill your ministry I think he 's talking about way more than preaching. I think he 's talking about that. I think he 's saying Timothy, no matter what, just as the Lord Jesus has done for you through me, and my life is going to be a fragrance for you, the, the Jesus in me, the fragrance of Christ, even after i 'm gone that Timothy, your whole life in your ministry is the the echo, the fragrance of Jesus way in this lifetime and even when you're gone. Don't you feel like it's long days sometimes, though? Anybody ever feel like the days are long? <laughs> you ever feel like things are taking forever? You ever feel like that? Oh, man, God, this is taking forever. Forever. This time in my life, what I'm waiting for, what I'm hoping to see, it is taking for You probably never say this, but I do. It's taking forever, God. But beloved, this morning isn't right now where he's working. Isn't it in the forever days? Isn't it in the right now? Isn't it in the long days? Isn't, isn't it in this day that He's doing the work in us to sanctify us and create that echo. Isn't it right now and right here? That's where the echo is being made. That's where the sweetness and the fragrance of Christ is being created in us. Is in the right here and the right now, not someday, not way down the road, not in the last moments of my existence on this earth. Isn't it right now where it's happening? Right now is where the echoes are being made. Now, I'm no scientific expert. I can watch Discovery Channel. I can watch National Geographic. So I'm no expert on this. But when when you know, like, physical echoes that happen in nature... You know, like a, a sound wave echo that happens in nature? What's the best places on earth that sound wave echoes are made? Aren't the best echoes, don't the best echoes happen in valleys? Don't the best echoes happen in hard, desolate places? Is that right? That's where echoes happen. <laughs> and spiritually speaking this morning, isn't it in the valleys where we live and walk? Isn't it in the forever days that we walk through that seem they take forever and we don't know if the light is ever going to be at the end of the tunnel? Isn't it in the hard, desolate places of our life that Jesus is forming the echo in us, the fragrance of Christ that not only echoes and reverberates and fills the nostrils of people around us now, but what's going to last past our lives? Isn't that happening right now and right here in our lives? And isn't that our ministry? So the question this morning as I get ready to finish is, who's willing to let him work in the here and now? Right now. Right now. Jesus, what do you want to do in my life right now to create your echo? What do you want to do in my life right now? Because, again, I am becoming now what I will be someday. (laughs) So, Jesus, would you please work in my life now to create that echo? And could it even lead me to say, thank you, Lord, for these days? (laughs) Thank you, Lord, for these days. Thank you for the valley. Thank you for the hard place. Thank you for the desolate place. Thank you for these days right now, Lord, long as they may be, so that that you are forming an echo in my life. Trina and I have been um, having a phrase in our lives lately that came out of a sermon We can't lose, we've been saying to each other, we can't lose. If things go exactly as we hope in this lifetime, if things go exactly as we pray, if all our prayers are answered and things turn out exactly as we like, praise the Lord. Amen. But if things don't turn out exactly as we like, if they're not exactly as we would want them to be, then praise the Lord because he's doing something in us right now and right here in this time right now that's working in us that's going to leave an eternal echo past our lives. I told you I'm a grandfather, right? I want to leave an echo for my granddaughter. I want Jesus to leave an echo through me. So as we finish this morning, I just want to ask you this. Who this morning would pray this? Lord Jesus, would you join me in this prayer? Lord Jesus, would you please give me your eternal view in my life? Whatever it takes, please lift up my head and continue to give me your eternal view in my life. And, oh, Lord, right here, right now, would you be creating an echo, creating a fragrance of yourself that's going to last beyond this lifetime. Well, I'd like to see the results. (laughs) What if I don't get to see the results? That kind of stinks. Do you believe in the grace we heard about last night for us in this time? God's grace. And furthermore, did you know it's never too late to start? God's grace for Jesus to leave an echo through us. So join me in prayer. Jesus, we know it's not us, we know it's nothing we can do. We know there is nothing I can do, literally, that makes a difference past my lifetime. Very, very little that makes a difference for, for the long term. But I, I pray in all earnest this, mor- this morning for myself, and I pray for my family here in Jesus Christ that, oh God, you would please, please, in your mercy and grace, just lift up our heads by your gentle hand, by your kindness, by your grace. And give us even today more of your eternal view in things. And Jesus, would you, oh please, in whatever the valleys of these days, in whatever the long forever days of these days, in whatever the hard and desolate places, would you work in us to be becoming sweet, sanctified saints that will have such a fragrance that it lasts, it lingers, it reverberates, it echoes when we go to heaven. We thank you for what you can do in us that is exceedingly abundantly above all. We ask or think and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you and we'll see you for a few minute, in a few minutes for service.